there's a, a law in evolutionary processes called requisite variety. And requisite variety says the following, that it's not the strongest or the fittest that survive in an ecosystem. It's the one that's most adaptable to change that not only survives, but thrives for future generations. In this series on reimagining leadership, I wanted to talk about developing leaders using some various lenses and to talk about it at different levels from very specific to very general. Today is going to be very general and probably very philosophical given who my guests are today. So I'll be introducing them in just a moment. So if you're listening to this, you probably also feel that developing leaders is important. And there's many different ways of doing this, but what continues to surprise me is how there are many organizations and even some industries that aren't yet connecting human development as being core to a business strategy and business outcomes. Today, we're going to be talking about a specific approach to leadership development. So we've all been to workshops and things like that, but this approach is one that spans a period of time. It keeps a group of leaders together over that time. It could be three months, it could be a year, it could be two years. And a few of the other elements are that it's practice-based and there's a degree of commitment and accountability that leaders who engage in a program like this sign up for. And then when they get in these programs, they realize, oh, this is a lifetime. I'm not going to be done when I'm finished with this program. There's a kind of awakening. And one of my guests here, Raf, says, awake and aware. And once that has been opened, it seems like that the learning and the growth never stops. And actually, that's what we want. So I've got two guests with me here today, uh, Rick Boren and Raf Vitan. And I'm going to start with a pretty general question about this type of development. And I'm going to ask you each, before you start talking, to tell us just what role that you play in your organization and what the organization does so that it helps us all in how we're listening to what you're saying. So, Rick, I'm going to toss it over to you and ask you first. I know that you care a lot about this topic. Mm-hmm. And why? And you're you're investing a lot of your life's energy in this work. And so what is it about this work that's so important to you that you're investing in this way? And again, tell us what organization you work for, what you do there, and then we're just going to let you go. Right. Thanks, Leanne. Thanks uh, for the invitation to be on this podcast again with you. I and mean, especially thanks for the good work that you're doing in the world and getting mm-hmm. these kind of conversations out there and making them available to folks. We are walking a similar path and we feel very much like a part of a tribe together. And that's been the case mm-hmm. for, I don't know, 20 plus years, you and I, maybe 30 years. Now. Uh, closer to 30 now. Uh, uh, not that anyone's counting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> not uh, that we're aging or anything. <laughs> So thanks for that. So I work with, um, I'm a partner and the chairman, um, which just means I'm the old guy on the team, partner and chairman at a company called Stegan. We are in the uh, development business. We work primarily with individuals um, and organizations. And our our purpose is to 
Uh, it's a shared purpose. It's a purpose that we share, not just with ourselves, but it's a, it's a purpose that we invite our clients and our academy members into, which is to help each other discover and fulfill our potential, the promise of our potential, right? To discover and to fulfill the promise of potential. And that actually really is the launching point for me. We took the better part of 20 years to arrive at that as a vision or as a purpose for ourselves. We were doing work. We've been doing, Stegan has been around for 23, 24 years. I've been a partner with Stegan with uh, Rand and company for, um, well, since 2008, but I've worked in known Rand since the early 2000s. By the way, thanks very much, Leanne, for that introduction. You are either complicit in what we're doing in the world, um, or you have been very much part of the generative process of bringing something into existence. Uh, didn't want to let that go without saying. Thank um, you. When we got really clear some years ago that the work that we were doing was not merely at the individual, making one individual better, but trying to help individuals grow into their potential. I'll come back to that in just a second. But to grow into their potential, which would include caring about helping others grow into their potential, then for leaders, the organization and development of others in the organization becomes an extension of their development. And in fact, it becomes the through line in a, in a lineage sense. It becomes the through line for the long-term future, right? So one of the challenges that we have, there's an old proverb that says, the wise plant trees under whose shade they'll never sit, right? Mm -hmm. The idea of development and caring about the development of others as a leader, when that when I'm awake and aware to my own development, I care more broadly about others and about systems and about the future, about a future that really I might not even see. And in fact, most of us, all of us won't see it, right? When a leader wakes up to that, then they invest their energies in their own growth and development, and they invest their energies in helping others. And this gets at this idea of discovering, tapping into evoking, provoking, and bringing forth the potential that exists in any one human being to be something in this lifetime. Life wants to do something mm -hmm. with each of us, and each of us want to do something with life. And that conversation is a specifically a developmental conversation. That's where I come from. That's a, that's a you know, a, a grand philosophical flyover. But it does start to tease apart the difference between training, which is more about what mm -hmm. is needed right now, Versus development, which is something for the future. Training, which is really kind of filling the skills cup gap right now. Development is expanding that skills cup for the future. Teaching and educating is part of training, creating opportunities for growth, provoking, evoking, stroking growth. Focusing on an individual can be training. Focusing on the collective starts to be development. These are just ideas about how to mm -hmm. approach this concept. They're more, they're broad. If I, if I put all that into a maybe a slightly more concise statement, it would be that development for myself, for the system around me, for others, right, is an investment in the future, a future that I won't necessarily see, but a future that I can directly impact right now by choices. When I wake up to that as a leader, there's no turning back. Tell me what you care about, and I'll tell you how big you are. I think Gandhi said that. <laughs> yeah, and uh, what what stands out to me, Rick, or there's a lot that stands out there, but part of it is that I just have this image that it becomes exponential, that when we hold that perspective, that we're each doing that, then it becomes much more, it's not just sustainable, but much more impactful because it's it's carrying on. Like you talked about the lineage and the thing about yes. a lineage is that 
more and more people are included in individual lineages. And then, yes. you know, we, we, we collect there. So that, that really stood out with what you were saying. That's exactly right. I mean, with you have Raf and I on here together. And then Raf, I'd love, you know, maybe Leanne to point some of this to you. Raf and I are in this conversation together. And Raf and I have known each other for quite a few years because Raf came through um, in one of his previous company roles, came through our ILP. And then Raf and I got to know each other. And through time, RAF became part of our organization as a as what we would call an extended team member. And RAF does the development work out in the world. So RAF has extended what he did with us into systems. Now RAF and I are working together in another client situation, one where he's kind of straddling the two. And the very work that we're doing is trying to enroll, to invite and enroll and encourage the development of the leadership of this team and then of this system to extend this development idea through the organization. Mm-hmm. This is just an idea yeah, that yeah. we're seeding and, and it's, a, it's a lineage. We're always planting these seeds. Yeah. Yeah. So Raf, let's take this opportunity now to hear from you and because you're working in a different context, like as Rick was just saying, you have kind of a foot in both worlds, but you, you're really in a, in a slightly different context than Rick and, and me. So talk a little bit about what you're doing in your fiercely human consulting or as a fiercely human consultant. I love that term, by the way. Yeah, happy to. And are we disclosing that you're a part of this? You're complicit in all this too? <laughs> yes. The I three am. of us are yeah. members. We're just going full uh, transparent mode here. Yeah. yeah, full transparency. And nothing's nothing uh, is uh, out of bounds today, yeah. I think. God, did I just say that? <laughs> So we are uh, all contributing members to spreading the good news of integral leadership, integral development, and that long arc that you were both just talking about. And the we have the fortune of doing it inside of a multi-billion dollar technology consulting firm that sits like at the intersection of management consulting, software building, and technology you know, uh, those three sectors coming together is where slalom consulting, fiercely human consulting is the tagline, Mm. is where they live. And for two decades, they also kind of the founding origin story of that company was one of the founders, John Tobin, saying, I don't feel good being treated inhumanely in the context of doing technology. I don't like these companies treating me like I'm not a human being. Mm-hmm. So he, he, with Brad Jackson and others, built Slalom. And two decades later, this company is still championing and integrating. Well, how do we do that at scale? How do we do it inside of this community of human beings that that are employed by Slalom? How do we do it with the giant global partners that we work with to serve clients? How do we do it inside of our clients and our clients' mm-hmm. clients? So this beautiful kind of expanding network of uh, folks that are committed to doing what Rick said at the beginning. Um, None of us know how to do it, but we're all saying, let's do it. And we're not. Mm -hmm. So the beauty of my role, back to your question, I sit at the uh, intersection of many of these partnerships that are all trying to do the same thing. And I'm an internal consultant inside of this multi-billion dollar global platform called Slalom. So I'm 
in in there bringing together the partnership of these different experts in integral leadership, integral development, in cultural competency, all these things together, human synergistics, like all that coming together to be able to accelerate what Rick described as fulfilling potential. How do we accelerate the human potential? How do we learn faster? Like it's not a black box. We know what we need to do and we're learning how to do it inside of large complex systems that want to do it right we're not going to be we're going to be doing it inside of systems that don't want to do it like there's we don't have enough time to persuade people or organizations that this would have business benefit we are there to support the big business big businesses the leaders who already know this is the key to performance and well-being and sustainability and exceptional results we're there to help them do it faster cuz the world is telling us life is telling us you better learn faster. You're behind. Learn faster. So, mm-hmm. so we're laser focused on doing that. Yeah, one of the things, Raf, I spoke with one of the senior leaders at Slalom. You um, set me up with a conversation with him, and one of the things that uh, stood out to me in that conversation because he's one of the ones that sponsored actually taking this internal at Slalom in the way that it's being done now. And one of the, and I can't remember the exact phrase he used, but, you know, people that work at Slalom are with the clients more than they're with each other. Mm-hmm. So it, that's what it seems like. I mean, they're, they're on site with clients. And so, uh, whereas in the situation that I'm in working with a local nonprofit company, everybody works together, you know, and so all the things that we're learning, we're trying out with each other. In your situation or in Slalom's situation, they're also being kind of missionaries in client systems. And so how do we show up in a different way that for our clients that is is even developmental in how we do the work? And again, it's exponential in how in its impact. So it's not just inside Slalom. But it's in the client systems that you all are working into and how you deliver the services and collaborate and integrate with, with your clients. And that really stood out to me as that's even further than most of us will think about what leadership development is intended to do. But yeah, what a great place to practice everything we need to learn faster than in the context of the actual delivery work itself with clients and those human beings together. And in a, in a big way, I think part of when, when you were describing all that, it's almost like erasing some of those fictitious boundaries between one community of human beings and another community of human beings. And instead it's like, hey, we're get, these groups of human beings are getting together in the context of whatever context it is, for-profit, non-profit, whatever, to solve super complex challenges. Mm-hmm. And here we go. Let's And we need to be in relationship to do it really well, to do it really effective and efficiently, and let's uh, let's learn how to do that better together. Yeah, yeah. So I want to ask because you just something that you just said made me think of, you know, we don't have to talk about the challenges because we know that there are a lot of challenges in the business world, just in the world in general, divisiveness, all, all of those things are happening. 
And so we need to be different people, people who can, human beings who can navigate that can be flexible, but we can blend with that. And I'm, I'm curious to hear from both of you. If you were to pinpoint one to a few competencies, and I hate to use that word because it sounds so sterile, but things that we need to be able to do as human beings to fill our fulfill our potential and the people that we work with, what are those key things that we got to be able to do to be successful in the future? And I'll, whoever wants to answer that, Rick, you're nodding your head. So it looks like you're you got something there. I, I mean, I always have something on this. I'll remind you of something that we talked about earlier before we hopped on. This topic is the closest thing to something that might be a passion for me. I, I don't, I don't sort of have in me the, the, the general everyday sense of passion. I care deeply about this topic, about where we are, and about trying to move the needle on human development in this lifetime, if I can, for whatever I can do. I, I, I have a great deal of energy and uh, concern for this. There's a, a law in evolutionary processes called requisite variety. And requisite variety says the following, that it's not the strongest or the fittest that survive in an ecosystem. It's the one that's most adaptable to change that not only survives, but thrives for future generations, right? So adaptability, the ability to, you said, blend with, right? The ability to sense make. It starts with the, the leadership development literature is kind of clear on this, but it, it gets it, there's a deeper cut at this. The first two cuts of it are self-awareness and self-awareness is not merely like, who am I? What am I? It is like there's there's an embodiment awareness. There's an awareness of my impact. You can say that that's part of the EQ frame where it's also other awareness. Mm-hmm. But I have to have some sense of my energy and how it is being experienced some sense of what's generating that energy, some sense of the way that I'm sense-making. Perspective-taking is a piece of this, but perspectives only come in when I become aware that there are multiple perspectives to even have. That starts with deep self-awareness, right? So there's an exploration or almost an archaeological dig of my psyche early in this process to get a good sense of who it is I am and who I'm trying to become in this lifetime, right? That's mm-hmm. that's deep self-awareness. When you've got that, then you can start to point it at something and you can use every opportunity to learn. And the literature would call this learning agility, the ability to extract something valuable and new from every experience and to mm-hmm. translate that into better strategies for the next experience, right? You could just say, if I'm really clear about who I am and who I'm trying to become, if I have a deep sense of how I impact the world around me, When I step into something new or an environment, can I see it freshly? When I step into a current existing environment, can I step into it with fresh eyes and ears? Can I learn? Can I orient to learning? Always updating my map, my understanding of the world, my skill sets and tool sets, expanding my mindset. Those are fundamental for me to this development journey. If I wake up to those two things, Everything else is like icing on the cake, but that's like the layer at the bottom, the platform and the layer on the bottom of the cake on which we build development in the future. Yeah. And it strikes me, uh, it strikes me that, and it never stops. Correct. That that never stops because we're, hopefully we continue to be curious, but also because our situations change. We work in new places we yep. age, we have health conditions, what, whatever those things are, 
we're always faced with something that requires a new perspective and to think about things in a new way. And so that's one of the things that comes up. The other, and I felt it literally in my body as you were speaking, that it sounds like, oh, we need to develop self-awareness and this EQ and you know, however we want to talk about that. It takes so much courage to let go of what we know or what yes. we think we know in order to let in something new because we have winning formulas. We are where we are because things have worked for us in the past and we constantly have to let that go and pick up something else. And it's hard. You know, it is hard. It, and it seems like the the uh, more important the situation, the more important it is that we let go and then the harder it is. And so we really have to be aware of, of those situations and, you know, kind of crank up our, our courage and our own ground, our own stand. Yeah. You know, it, uh, it, that, that brings up something that it's one of these things that's so incredibly obvious. And for everyone that have children, I, you know, my wife and I, I didn't have kids. So my experience is vicariously through friends and, uh, and a brother, Children can do the following. They can absolutely let go of something today, crawling, because walking looks like it has way more advantages than crawling. <laughs> and they don't look back. They don't suddenly stop learning how to crawl, but they learn how to do something. They let go of a, a current iteration of themselves without any hesitation or reservation. They go to where their energy is pulling them. When it for adults, the thing that I think you're pointing at is you said success formula. I would say that they're identity formulas, right? We have a mm, yeah. known for something. We get known for how to do something. We get known for what we have. We get known for how we present ourselves. And to put that at risk to try something new or to do something new can feel terrifying until one recognizes that I'm not the image. I'm not my skill set. I'm not what I've done. I'm not what I have. I can be what I care about, though, and I can learn to care about something more than those things, right? And that takes some courage. You're right, right? That's a fairly courageous move. You wake but up yeah, to that, yeah. and you wake up to a kind of responsibility that, you know, that we would say the uh, the noblesse oblige or the noble obligation of leadership is you now have an opportunity to go do something with all of that. Yeah. Do it. Beautiful. Raph, what, what do you want to add here? So we're talking about perspective, agility, self-awareness. What what do you want to just add to this? Or is there something in addition that you would say, and this as well? I want, I want to double down on the adaptability part. Okay. First, I'm going to do it by connecting something you said and something Rick just said. You said it's hard. Rick said it takes courage. And what I would prefer we practice saying is, it's easier when mm. it's easier when we know what to focus our attention on. It's easier when uh -huh. we have expert, deliberate practices to follow. It's easier mm. when we know what the high leverage elements of learning are. It's easier when we have an environment that accelerates the likelihood of us getting our reps in so that we learn faster. So harder is a relative way to talk about something we don't know how to do yet easier when is when we have a, a very focused expert path and a community of people who know how to do it yeah 
We're going to do it better. We're going to do it faster, et cetera. So that's the, I bring that together. And then I want to go back. Thank to you this. so much, Raf. That was important. Yes, very. Well, I agree. Well, connecting what you both said, and that was super useful to be doing this together, prototyping out loud with you both. The adaptability part, and Rick, you called it, you said learning agility, being able to kind of constantly update our orientation yep. to what's happening and and to be able to drop the ballast, the stuff that's not working for us and not serving us well to adapt to the new stuff, right? So we often frame it together as adaptability intelligence. Mm-hmm. So think and this is where this is a nice play on something that's super hot and it's going to be the thing that changes the next you know the next 50 years of business and changes how we how business models are shaped how value is created of course i'm talking about artificial intelligence and i would connect this idea of like the best response to the tsunami that's coming from artificial intelligence, right? The the water is receding, the drawbacks happening, and we're all kind of watching the we're watching the tide go on the shoreline. <laughs> we're going, this is interesting. I can see, I can see the shallows now so differently. Like we're watching it, and we have no idea like what's coming, right? So the idea of the the best response to the artificial intelligence tsunami that's coming is uh adaptability intelligence. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. artificial intelligence adaptability building that like strengthening those muscles accelerating how we learn to do that is going to be the most the, the competitive advantage for every community that we're in for the next 50 years kind of a thing and mm-hmm. right so the um so yes to, and back to even rick you had said earlier Hey, there's training. Yes, there is technological AI training that everybody needs to have and go through. And in the meantime, we need to be developing everybody's adaptability intelligence. And if you ask me, and if you subscribe to the neuroscientists and all the famous theorists who would talk about intelligence, IQ, EQ, social intelligence, physical intelligence, cultural intelligence, the kind of aggregate of all those is adaptability intelligence. And so business worlds love intelligence, like value intelligence. Are you smart? You're smart. We'll hire you if you're smart. And let's see your degrees that show you're smart. That was the old way, right? The new paradigm is it's going to be how quickly can you do that adapting thing? And and I love the paradigm of everybody values smarts. So let's use that as the thing to focus people's attention on. Aggregate the intelligence. You want, you want, if you want, if I want access to all the available intelligence in the room, on the team, in the neighborhood, what do I need to do? I need to make sure we've got the one intelligence that holds them all together. And we're building and strengthening all those mindsets and muscles that attribute to adaptability intelligence. That you want to, Harari says, you know, and he, he, he's doing like slalom has the same mentality of we're not looking at AI like it's, fear doom and gloom and protect our jobs stand your ground like that like that's not the right way to respond to the ai tsunami that's coming the right way is going to be looking at it through the lens of the burning ambitions that can be created not the burning platform of fear the burning ambitions of what's our purpose what are we trying to do in the world boom use it for that and 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 lean into the thing that our species is already the best at. Like the reason we dominate the globe is because we're so good at adaptability, mm-hmm. intelligence, 
and doing it through social learning, doing adapting, doing adaptability at scale. That's what social learning is. So we got to, Rick said, raising awareness, which is turning off autopilot, mm-hmm. turning on social learning, do that <laughs> and you'll win. Like you'll, uh, anyway, that's the part that we all, it's not a black box, do that. How do we do that inside of this company, that company, this community? I don't know. We got to learn how to do that in that community. And it's again, adding on to what you're saying, what what's at the foundation of all of that adaptability for me is curiosity. Is that, you know, how can this work? And so, because if we're not curious, we're still just like shining rather than really thinking deeply with curiosity And then when I go there, I think, and like the world is going so fast, being able to pull ourselves out and slow down a little bit so that we can really be curious and not just constantly in this kind of high octane environment that we're in, we've got to be able to to pull out and have time to reflect. And that's another thing, actually, that I think that these human development or leadership programs are good at is that they take us out of our daily system to kind of examine, you know, what we're doing and why we're doing it and what impact it's having on us. And then to engage in practices um, individually and collectively that kind of support curiosity and adaptability and learning together, this, you know, this social intelligence. Mm. Uh, we all have to be doing that. If just you know, one person in a, in an organization is doing this, it really, it's hard. It's like trudging. It's like walking through mud. Well, and people will migrate quickly into the communities that are doing it, mm-hmm. right? The ones that are paying attention aren't going to stay in the communities that are holding on to the past or, or protecting the the old success formulas, even though they served us very well. It's kind of like, I think people will have a different move versus just standing on the shore watching the drawback of the before the tsunami. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, you could say I, th- I think I think it would be reasonable to say, Raph, that part of the equation for human flourishing is the opportunity to to learn and grow and to develop, and in the presence of others. Right. So, mm-hmm. human beings and systems are going to move in the direction of flourishing. Right, they're not going to move in the direction of constraint. They're going to go where the opportunity to expand and grow and learn and to be present with others is going to show up. And whether one calls that engagement, an employee survey, or one calls that like this best places to work, if you look at these things, what they will have in common is they have uh, some mechanism by which human beings can flourish. And development or the opportunity to develop is fundamental to flourishing. Hmm. Yes. There's something that that keeps coming up for me here. And uh, Raf, when you and I spoke several weeks ago, one of the things that you said, and let me see if I can uh, quote this, uh, whatever you think is going to happen is not what's going to happen. So we're talking about putting people, and I and I, I, I that's probably set that up wrong, but you know, people are in these seven month, 52 week, whatever it is, programs. And we have this idea where 
we're putting structures in place and we're channeling energy in a certain way so that certain things happen, you know, because we believe that if we set it up this way, that people will flourish. And we actually don't know what's going to happen, you know, how people are going to respond. And typically, and not just typically, every single time I've done a program like this, and there have been in many, you know, we can't predict the meaning that people are going to make. And particularly when we're doing this inside an organization, how that might upset the apple cart in ways that we didn't think. We just think we're going to do this program and everything's, you know, it's it's all going to be headed in a certain direction. But processes start getting challenged. People start glowing in the dark. People in the program start having a different expectation of leadership and what work should be like. And so it's also kind of destabilizing just to be in the program so I'm handing it back over to you, Raph, to talk about that because you are, you know, your quote was, whatever you think is going to happen, that's not what's going to happen. And I love that. And I have to remember that. Like, I have an aim. It may or may not work that way. Well, and that's part of our, it's all, we're on the same journey too, right? Our knower mind gets attached to how we think it's supposed to go and how I think I'm supposed to look as I'm leading these programs and I'm attached to my identity part of that goes along with it. <laughs> and and it's just not, it's not going to go the way I think it's going to go. So I'm not going to, I'm going to go into it. Not so attached. And one of the country presidents, actually, he said, you said glow in the dark. He goes, he goes, it's like, you can see somebody get struck by lightning, like throughout <laughs> the year, like all of a sudden they go, oh, that person just got struck by lightning. Their life changed forever. And, and it's in the process of that deep discovery work, it's in the process of finding those insights and triggers and the things mm. that might be getting in the way of people achieving their own potential. And it's their own, that, that, that personal discovery work that he's talking about. And when it happens, and it doesn't always happen in the 12 months of the program or whatever timeline the program is, in, but that program, those practices, those relationships, those connections, and the new thinking patterns are planting seeds for Time release capsules that could happen 10 years from now, 20 years from now, who knows? And it's, and in some, like, since this is the philosophical, philosophical episode that you're doing, um, <laughs> the idea, the idea that what I just described, the getting struck by lightning, which I would say is part of what happened to me when I went through my Stegen integral learning journey, my experience, um, was the idea um oh, I'm losing my train of thought because I went back to the, I was I was picturing myself sitting at the table with Rand and Rick and Lisa and other people in front of me hold on so I just I got lost in the the historical moment of that hold on I was saying um it was fun to watch Raf so struck by lightning oh yeah yeah I remember even at the the kickoff session of the program I remember saying I was like, we were halfway through the session. And I was like, I was like, I don't, you guys want me to talk about stuff that I think I should be talking about with my therapist or, you know, a shrink, a priest, somebody, but not you jokers that I just met, like that kind of thing. I was like, but all right, if you guys want to talk about it, let's go. Like that's, <laughs> but the idea, the idea of a lot of what this integral leadership, this development work, this idea of 
human potential on multiple dimensions, right? It's not just, we're not talking about success in my career. It's career, relationships, spirituality, my emotions, my physical health, like all that stuff, all those intelligences together, like that's some deep, serious work that human beings, all of us, most of us, most of us are not going to make it to therapy, right? Most of us are not going to make it to therapy. So we need to have some community-based way of being in relationship and in the practices of that sort of points us in the direction of what real therapy kind of does. I'm not saying do the therapy work or do the healing. I'm saying put us in a situation that invites us into believing the progress is possible for me if I focus on growth mm. and focus on the possibilities. And we need to do that radically at scale inside of businesses any kind of community that that has that possibility of doing it so that more people don't you know go through life with little t's big t's of trauma unresolved and unaddressed and and just feel like that's normal you're stuck with it deal with it like there's much healthier ways uh that i think we're we're working on so there that was the philosophical part yeah and a very big hearted answer you know, a, a very big hearted way of thinking about how we can be together because we don't, like you said, um, we go into these programs thinking that it's going to be one thing. And then we're talking about something else. That's also uh, in this program that I'm finishing up right now, we're, we're having commencement next week. And so we're talking about, you know, what results. And one of the participants said, God, I was so excited. You know, I came into this program and I thought, oh, good, I'm getting some management training. And then she, you know, ended up going through the arc, what it was like, you know, for her to learn different things. And and she thought, whoa, (laughs) hold on. And she said, you know, her relationship with her daughter has changed at least as much as her relationship with her coworkers. Yeah. And Rick, that goes back to, you know, planting seeds of trees that will never sit like, no, she didn't intend for that. I didn't, no one could have predicted that that would happen. But when we show up and we engage, the sky's the limit, you know, and it, you know, all kinds of relationships improve and our life satisfaction and then what we're able to contribute because we're satisfied. I mean, it is a virtuous cycle that we can kick off if we step into it. It is a virtuous cycle. And because we've said relationship here a few times, and it's, it's, I think it's useful to point out something that's right before our eyes and that we take for granted until something disrupts it. But everything that we do happens through relationship. Relationship Mm -hmm. is fundamental. Development doesn't happen in isolation. Um, It can happen in spurts, a little bit in isolation, but development is potentiated by relationship. Relationship or relating with others opens us up in ways that we would not otherwise be available to and vice versa. When that relationship um, fundamental is extended to a system or to systems of systems, you could say communities, right? What we've done is we have, we've extended care, right? We have scaled care and, you know, Raph, you're pointing at this, right? We don't, we don't have the luxury of all of us going off um, into therapy for some length of time and coming out whole and healed. That doesn't happen. It happens in relationship. 
It happens in community and it happens intentionally. And there's no guarantee of what's going to show up as a result of that, just to go back to the unpredictable nature of development, except that learning and change and an adaptation will occur. We can know that and we can care. So relationship is fundamental to this. We'll just add another layer at the bottom of that cake. Yeah. And with all of that said, the, the unpredictability of it, there is, I was, um, I'm reminded again of uh, Priya Parker's book, The Art of Gathering. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we can't predict and we can't, uh, we can't make an outcome happen. But we can set a table. We can create an environment and we can create conditions and we can create um, structures. You know, we might call them liberating structures um, in these programs for people to settle into and to feel held and supported while they're going through and have a place to come back and ask questions And so that is, you know, both are true. We can't predict it, but we can create an environment, a container of conditions where it's more likely that these things will happen. Yes. Yeah. You know, and on that point, I mean, I think you're for for anyone out there that's thinking about designing and developing programs for development inside of organizations. The fundamentals here, I think we've, we've talked about, you know, and what you want to try to, to bring on the fact that it's done in combination with others, never alone, always together, the relationship mm-hmm. quality of it. We can't predict with absolute certainty how any one person is going to develop in any given time frame or set of programs. We can reliably predict how cohorts, how human beings will go through a period of time together, working on things, learning together, et cetera. Yep. If the container, the, the language we use is the container, but you could say if the program structure, if there is the right balance of challenge and support, if the conditions are created in which human beings can begin to experiment with new ways of thinking, doing, and being, and that they can do that in conjunction with others, we can reliably predict that the needle moves in a variety of ways on development, whether it's a broader perspective, more empathy, or the ability to relate more broadly with a group of human beings. You could call that, you know, sort of diversity, right? Diversity of thought, the equity of experience, the ways in which we would engage, and that we can predict that those things will begin to show up, not for individuals, but for the group, for the cohort, that will show up. Individuals, there'll be some variants. But we can say with real thoughtful consideration of the container or the context in which we invite and engage human beings in a developmental process with others, we can make some pretty good predictions about what shows up in that system. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's a kind of an arc. Yes, Raf, please. I say the quality of the relationship in the container is the accelerant. Mm-hmm. Right, the structure, the 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 practices, the work to be done. We have our own work to do, and the environment, the container, that's the accelerant. So, are are there ways to create the container or for that accelerant? Is that a rhetorical question? No, I'm asking Raf, like what, like how would you, as you're putting together a program and you've got that in mind, how, 
what are you doing? What decisions are you making to help the accelerant happen? Well, within, so all kinds of design elements, probably don't have enough time to talk about all the design elements, but certainly care over content, the fundamental design element. Care Uh, over content. Yeah. Content's important, but it's the care that Rick was just talking about is the, Mm -hmm. and that's tricky because it's easier to care more about the content and the PowerPoint slide. And then it's like this (laughs) fraction compared to what the other stuff is. The ability to, and this is all goes back to this. What is, what standard of relationship are we talking about? We're talking about ideally you're creating peer-based learning environment in Mm -hmm. the container, right? And Stegen and all the programs we're in is the idea is building it, designing it, framing it so that we lose, we let go of the hierarchy when we come in. Even if it's inside of a multi-billion dollar organization, you put your general manager, you take your general manager hat off and you have to learn to do this, Take your learn to take your general manager hat off and be with anybody, any role, and just recognize that you're all learning this together. Mm-hmm. And so the, the beauty of, and that's, you, we could go down the rabbit hole of psychological safety, but it's mm-hmm. all in the and the standard of relationship of is it a real relationship or is it one of those professional pretend relationships? Because professional pretend, cooperative, not toxic, that's not the same as a real relationship where trust right. and high growth and high challenge. What is Stegen always says, loving, what is it? Power, powerfully valued, powerfully challenged, a pressure cooker of a of a container mm-hmm. is where growth is going to come from. And it takes real relationships, not that thing that we don't even recognize is a uh, very less than professional relationship is not the same thing. Mm-hmm. Thank you. So this real conversation is exactly what I was hoping for today. And I'm feeling energized and inspired uh, for the work that we all do and to continue on. So uh, thank you uh, both for being here today and sharing your, Rick, you said uh, you don't have passion, you have care. Well, I'm just going to say I felt passion (laughs) from you. (laughs) I'm going to call BS on that and say that I felt passion and definitely from, from you to Raf. So thank you both. Raf, I know that you're right at the end. So anything that you want to say before you uh, specifically need to get on to the next thing with your day today? Mm-hmm. Pleasure, to be in the do- Pleasure to be in the dojo with you as always. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Rick, how about you? Because we talked about relationship and we talked about journey and we talked about going beyond ourselves. I would uh, just bring to mind uh, an old African proverb that says, you know, if you want to go fast, go alone. And if you want to go far, go together. And and I think that is uh, fundamental to this conversation is doing this together. I think we should end there. Thank you both. Yeah, It's, it's, it's my pleasure to call you friends and colleagues and coworkers and all that. And really appreciate your hearts and your, and your minds and your deep thoughts today. Likewise. Well, I sure hope you enjoyed this episode. As a reminder, this is part of a Rise Leaders Radio limited series podcast called Reimagine Leadership. There are several additional episodes focused on various aspects of a seven-month 
practice, and cohort-based program that I developed for the Girl Scouts of Northeast Texas. I've included links to various topics that we've discussed, and you can find those in the show notes for this episode. Be sure to listen to the last episode in this series, where we'll be reviewing the results of the program, what we learned, and how we're thinking about our next steps. In addition to curating leadership programs like this, I also offer executive coaching and strategic approaches to leadership and team development. Please reach out to me via the contact information on my website at www.rise-leaders.com. And by the way, Rise Leaders Radio is on YouTube now, and this is probably the best way for you to leave comments or engage in a conversation with me regarding this or any of the episodes. And of course, finally, if you found this episode useful or interesting, please share it with others and leave me a nice review. Thank you so much. And remember that you have the power to elevate your part of the world.